This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Paul Johnson, co-chair of the U.S. Ag Coalition for Cuba. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. See how we're focused on our one planet with six commitments. Visit the Good Growth Plan on the web at www.goodgrowthplan.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Paul Johnson next. Syngenta's Good Growth Plan is about the biggest challenge facing humanity, feeding a growing population. Syngenta's Good Growth Plan is about six commitments to make crops more efficient, rescue more farmland, help biodiversity flourish, reach and empower smallholders, help people stay safe, and to look after every worker throughout the entire supply chain network. One Planet, Six Commitments. Learn more at www.goodgrowthplan.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The U.S. Ag Coalition for Cuba began in 2014 and now includes over 120 members. Their mission is simple, eliminating the Cuban embargo. Coalition co-chair Paul Johnson says Cuban trade policy is no longer a domestic issue for a single state. Now it's beyond just a Florida domestic issue, but it's a U.S. agricultural issue. It's a U.S. commercial interest, and it's also an interest of the majority of Americans who want to see an end to this policy. So now politicians have to have a position, which is a lot different Talk about the symbolic significance of the past week when the President of the United States lands Air Force One in Cuba, the first time a setting U.S. President has been there since 1928. It was really incredible, right? I mean, first you see this monster plane in the skies of Cuba, and the Cubans, that took them by surprise. It wasn't, it wasn't an airplane to them. It was a ship. It was a really stark contrast from other world leaders who have come to Cuba to see something so impressive. Once he hit the ground, I think this is telling. It, it, it started to rain. And I was curious what the mood was about the rain as the president landed. And it wasn't viewed as anything ominous. It was just the opposite. A Cuban turned to me and said, no, this is the limpieza, which has religious connotations actually as well. But what it means is it's a cleansing. So they saw the rain as he landed as a way of cleaning the past and leading to this new opportunity. And that image of seeing the president on the streets of Havana was remarkable. It really was historic. There was a lot of excitement on the streets of, uh, of Cuba. Where are areas that if trade could be expanded with Cuba that would help the Cuban people that would also help the U.S.? I'd like to see us move to this comparative advantage approach where Cuba can purchase goods more efficiently uh, at lower costs than they're currently doing now because of the geographical proximities. Items like you know rice, corn, soy, dairy, pork, wheat, products that we here in the United States do really well and really efficiently and that Cuba cannot do as well because of its limitations of being an island, because they're prone to hurricanes, because of the topography. I'd like to see them instead focus on some of the value-add products that they can do really well that would do really well in U.S. markets. Like uh, we know sugar, we're, we're familiar with tobacco and rum, but also coffee or cacao or honey or aquaculture seems to be a, a natural one for uh for Cuba being an island, and also because of the current 
I think we purchased 80% of our seafood from China. I'm not sure that's very sustainable, but it could be really uh, beneficial to the U.S. if we can then tap into Cuba's lobster, shrimp, and, and fish. So a lot of products that Cuba is already currently doing, including organic fruits and vegetables, that I think would do really well here in the U.S. An announcement from the Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, that uh, marketing programs, checkoff dollars, could be spent uh, in research of the Cuban market. Is that a benefit? I, I think there was two really big announcements during the presidential visit. The first one was that, the checkoff dollars that could now be used that uh, Secretary Vilsack announced. That's a game changer. Um, I'm not sure how many people in the United States realize that, but we're talking a lot of promotional marketing dollars that different uh, agricultural groups are using in other countries but were restricted from using. Now we can actually go to Cuba. We can promote our products. We can do forums. We can do uh, exchanges of know-how, educating the Cubans of the benefits of the products that uh, we're, we grow here in the United States. And that's going to open up a lot of doors. Um, I thought that was probably perhaps the biggest uh, deal in my mind that was that was signed in that agreement. And the other one that impacts us all is the ability for U.S. dollars to be used in transactions in third countries. That's particularly important because Cuba was restricted from doing that in the past. And this is important because we call it an embargo, but Cuba calls it a blockade. And it's semantics. It's a word, but that word was really important in our discussions for so many years. And we got hung up on the definition of what the embargo was. Cuba looked at it as more of a blockade because we were prohibiting other countries from doing business with Cuba. And we would go off on these tangents about the definition of embargo or blockade. And it would really, you know, sour any agreements we could be, we could make. But now we've lifted that and having Cuba have the ability to transact in U.S. dollars with other countries alleviates that pressure and makes it things a lot more efficient for them. Some openly question why spending so much resources and so much political clout on a country that obviously has economic limits and doesn't necessarily have the best record for paying back loans. Well, first of all, it's, it is a country of 11 million. It's not the largest market in the world, but it is significant. Anytime that you have an increase of demand on commodities, opening up new markets, it impacts all pricing for everybody. Uh, second of all, on this idea of uh, credit repayment, you know, it's true. We have, Cuba has a terrible track record of repayment of debt. But I believe that this is a new day, a new relationship that Cuba recognizes as being their best chance of reforming a relationship with the United States, which they need because they can purchase products more efficiently and they're going to need to integrate the economies of two countries. However slow it goes, they need to do that. And that's my experience talking with Cubans. And as a businessman, it's a calculated risk on my part from my 20 years of being down in Cuba that they will repay my debt. And I haven't had any problems with contracts in the past. I can come back on your show in a year from now and eat crow if I'm proven wrong. But in order to build trust, trust with proof, we're going to have to extend credit and help them rebuild their economy 
which will lead to more economic opportunity. Paul, obviously you'd like to see a piece of legislation that would eliminate the embargo. But in lieu of that, are there other pieces of legislation that are being proposed at Washington that you see would be a benefit aside from the complete elimination of that embargo? There have been a number of bills that are being circulated. We saw, we know that uh, Senator Klobuchar, we know that Senator Heitkamp and Emmer, the Congressman Emmer, um, and also uh, Senator our Congressman Crawford have introduced legislation that will gradually allow U.S. exporters to be more competitive. I shouldn't say gradually. It's a gradual approach to ending the embargo. But what those legislation, what that does is it allows us to compete with existing trade relations that Cuba's had for many years. Brazil, Argentina, European Union, Canada, and China. We cannot be competitive or think that we can just enter the Cuban market because the embargo ends and we are going to regain market share. Cuba will not trade their existing partnerships because the United States is calling. We have to compete, and those bills give us the ability to compete. And we need to use every tool at our disposal to invest in the country, to allow for two-way trade, and to extend credit. Paul, in our conversations before, you've talked about the importance of the Cuban market and the opportunity that's there. But you also mentioned that Cuba is a gateway to other markets. This is a new day, right? It's not a, it's not a new deal. It's not a redeal. But it's a new day in reforming our relationships between the United States and all of Latin America. And that starts with our relationship with Cuba. And how we build that relationship moving forward is going to be an example of how we're going to be dealing with all of Latin America, all encompassing. And let's face it, there is a lot of anti-American populism throughout Latin America. That's gotten better over the years, but it exists. And if we have a relationship with Cuba, then we neutralize a lot of opposition in Latin America to the United States. That's why, to me, this relationship with Cuba is so important on the geopolitical scale with the relationship between the United States and Latin America. Opening trade between the U.S. and Cuba is a polar issue in Washington. And I also understand it's still a polar issue in Cuba. Uh, there are factions from both sides, from both governments, that still uh, don't care for each other at all. Are these areas that can melt, or are these obstacles that will remain regardless? There are. You're, you're right in, in saying that there's opposition on both sides. And I think it's really important for the United States to recognize that internally in Cuba, there is opposition to this reproachment with the United States as well. I view it as a road to reconciliation. We've had a half a century of no communication or, or faulty communication, and now we are resetting that relationship. This is a personal family issue for many people, and understandably, they have grievances that need to be addressed. But in order for that to happen, we need to have a normal relationship the process has already begun on this road to reconciliation that's going to take time, but it doesn't happen overnight. A clash between the presidents, uh, that of Obama challenging the Cuban government on human rights and they challenging us on the embargo to Guantanamo Bay and to other areas. There is clear friction. Yes, of course. Now, in my opinion, the United States' foreign policy should not be based on regime change at any point. 
if we're hoping for any uh, reform to take place politically in Cuban, it has to be local and indigenous to be lasting. So it, it has to come from Cuba. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves in the same position we are now, 50 years down the road, and we'll be laying the seeds of future revolution. It has to come from Cuba. Cuba's political future is in their hands. And I think that's particularly important. It's also important to recognize that we cannot improve the rights of Cubans by restricting the rights of Americans to trade and travel here in the United States. Media reports the day before President Obama was in Cuba, the president of Venezuela was also in Cuba and was well-received. Is it a concern that that country has uh, relationships with countries that uh, clearly are on the opposite side of our view in, in the globe? You know, the United States is no stranger to doing business with countries with opposing viewpoints of our own. That's never uh, scared us in the past, and it shouldn't deter us from building relationships with countries in the region. We understand that Cuba does have a solidarity movement with uh, and a long history with Venezuela, but it's actually going to benefit us to have a closer relationship with Cuba, and I believe that will also help our relationship with Venezuela. What we don't want to see is a failed state, whether that be in Venezuela or Cuba. And Cuba as ally can do a lot in the region to help our relationship with other countries like Venezuela. What other executive order can President Obama take that would help the relationship between the two countries less additional congressional action? He's done a lot and you know he's been doing this gradually every you know over the last twelve months allowing more and more trade between both countries. Um, there is a, more you can do, but I think that right now it's up to Congress. I think he's done just about as much as he can do politically and within his executive power. What we really need now is for Congress to get together and figure out which one of these bills has the best chance of passing. It's up to Congress to end this embargo and to allow us to be more competitive. So I would turn to Congress and say that now all roads lead to Congress. There are some in Congress who point and suggest that we are using a lot of resources to cultivate that market, when ultimately, as it stands right now, there would just be one customer, and that would be the Cuban government, until there is a change. How Cuba determines their own internal business is, is really up to them. The agency or uh, intermediary you're speaking of for the food side is Alimport. And I've done business with Alimport for eight years. It's frustrating. You know, it's inefficient. It, it, it can drive me nuts at times. But that's the system that Cuba needs in order to, they believe, more efficiently distribute the goods to the entire country. I believe that in time, we'll be able to sell directly to some of these cooperatives, and help with these wholesale markets that are being um, created within Cuba. And Cuba themselves will recognize that having an intermediary agency may not be the most efficient approach. That's something for them to determine and not for us. It is an election year. So with regard to the presidential election, is there a concern that the elected candidate, the next president of the U.S., could come in and undo much of the work that has taken place by executive order? There's a lot of talk of that, and I think it's something to be aware of. But personally, well, it won't stop me. 
You know, I think there's a lot of people here that are going to continue to move forward, change hearts and minds in Congress. But let's remember, we have the United States agricultural community squarely behind ending the embargo. We have U.S. commerce clearly behind ending the embargo. And from many polls, we can see that the majority of U.S. citizens are looking for an end to this embargo. So I believe it would be very difficult for anybody to roll back the momentum that we've gained. When would you anticipate that this might be presented before the Congress? In this election year, early in the new administration, how soon? Tough to say. Uh, there's a, some competing uh, opinions on that. But I think if we can get that to that 40 number of, of congressmen, Republican congressmen, that could be on board to seeing a significant legislation being passed, I think we can build we have a critical mass that would push this forward. I think we can do more before President Obama leaves. Um, but I think what's most important is to build consensus and to understand what we're doing with Cuba and understand what Cuba wants. And if that takes time, that's okay. Let's just make sure we get it right. And let's understand what we're going to achieve once this embargo ends. And then the embargo is one step, but building a relationship that lasts so we don't repeat the mistakes, errors, omissions of the past. We need to, we have a real opportunity now to have a relationship with Cuba as an ally and an equitable ally with mutually beneficial, that is mutually beneficial. We have that chance in front of us now, so I, I hope we take the time to recognize it and get it right. Paul, if there is a vote in the Congress, do you think you can see a positive outcome as long as a Castro is in office? I do, because this is a classic example of, you know, our foreign policy has been held hostage because of, you know, one name. It's we've lost sight of the forest for the trees. And I think we've shifted the argument. We've reframed the argument that we want to change our U.S. foreign policy that benefits United States citizens and the 11 million Cubans on the island, rather than being focused on Castro. I think we've reframed that, so I hope we continue in that vein. You've mentioned the enthusiasm among the Cuban people for the opportunity uh, for farmers and for elected officials to be there, uh, and obviously the challenges with the uh, government officials in Cuba uh, are very, very plainly stated. So, Paul, we want to thank you for spending time with us here on Open Mic, and it is an open mic. And, sir, you have an open forum for your thoughts and observations. 2018, Raul Castro steps down. What are we doing as a country to move beyond that time? Who is going to be the next leader of Cuba? And what are we doing to integrate our economies and build a more balanced relationship? We need to get to know the Cubans' perspective aspirations to order to have a stronger relationship. We need to understand the provinces better. We focus a lot of our attention on Havana. We need to remember there are a lot of folks in the countryside that I believe are going to have more autonomy in the near future, and we need to understand who those actors are. So I hope we really take the time to understand Cuba's perspective in order to build a relationship that lasts. Our thanks to Paul Johnson, co-chair of the U.S. Ag Coalition for Cuba, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. See how we're focused on our one planet with six commitments. 
visit the Good Growth Plan on the web at www.goodgrowthplan.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Allen.